about time to start our service this evening. It's very good that you made your way back here to the service this evening. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, as far as announcements, I have uh, just one new one from this morning to add. Uh, Murdy Gibson, that's Dale's mother, she fell and broke her hip this week. At this point in time, they're not going to do surgery, and she's in trust point. Let's uh, remember Vanessa Jennings, and Rob Lindsay, and Junior Leal with their ongoing health problems. Remember to keep them in our prayers uh, and uh, do what we can for them. Um, this evening, Jackson Lingren will be speaking for us. Um, let's remember our upcoming meeting with Timothy Fleming. That'll be March 28th through the April the 4th. Let's be sure and pray for that work. And, Keep that in, uh, keep that in our minds. Do what we can for it. Um, let's remember the Bull family. Norman Pascal's funeral will be Tuesday at two o'clock. Let's keep them in our prayers and remember them. I believe this is all the announcements I have. I'm gonna ask Craig if you will to come forward as lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, mighty God, we, we come before you with uh, thankful hearts. Father, we know that, that you are God, the, the one and only God. Father, we acknowledge you as the, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the creator of us. We are in awe of your mighty power and, and your creation. And yet, uh, the power and, and as the creator, you still love us so much that, that we can be your children. You've loved us so much that you sent your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, to pay a debt of sin <clears throat> that we could never pay. Father, we thank you for your love, for your amazing grace, and your tender mercy, and, and for Jesus. Father, we're so thankful for the life of example that he lived for us and, and for that suffering and death, that sacrifice for us, and, and for his glorious resurrection. We know that because of his resurrection, we have we have hope of a future resurrection, a future of a home in heaven, victory over death. And Father, we thank you. We praise your name and we praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the church that, that Christ purchased with his blood. Father, we're so thankful for the congregation that, that meets here. We're thankful for this time we have to worship you tonight. Father, we'd ask you to, to be with all uh, the evangelists, uh, the world over. Father, it's been a, a difficult year or so for them to, to do the work they're accustomed to doing. And we ask you to continue to be with them and strengthen them and, and bless their work that the church would, would continue to grow and, and their work would be productive and ask you to be with them and strengthen and comfort and bless them and their families. Father, be with us as we worship you tonight. It's our prayer that the, the songs that we sing to you will, will be pleasing to you that your name will be praised and, and that our hearts will be lifted and, and drawn closer uh, together uh, as we sing together and that we will be full of hope. Father, please be with Brother Jackson as he uh, teaches us tonight. Help him to have a, a good remembrance of those things that he studied. Help him to have a, a clear and, and ready mind that he can present those things that, that he, he wants to in a way that that we can understand, that we can be edified, that we can be built up and, and stronger as a result of being here and, 
in the lesson that we hear tonight. And Father, help us to take it and, and to see that it's the truth. And if so, apply it to our lives that we will be uh, uh, better equipped to serve you. Father, uh, we know that we often fail you and, and fall short of your glory. We know that there are things that, that we shouldn't do that we do. Father, we, we, we struggle with sin, with, with temptation, and, and do those things that we don't want to do, but, but we do them. And Father, we beg of you to, to forgive us. And Father, those things that we, we need to do and should do, we fail to take advantage of the opportunities that we have when we don't do those things. And we ask you for, to forgive us for those things also. Father, please allow the precious blood of your son Jesus to, to cleanse us. And Father, help us to, to have repentant hearts and, and determined minds that will go forward and, and overcome temptation and overcome the, the sins that we struggle with and, and be a better servant of yours and a better example to the world that they'll see Christ truly living in us. Father, we're thankful for this nation we live in, the, the freedoms that we enjoy. But I ask you to be at the leaders of this nation, the leaders of other nations, that they'll lead us in such a way that we can live quiet and peaceful lives. Be at the president, his cabinet, the legislatures, the judges. Help them to, to make wise decisions that would uh, cause repentance on the part of this nation. That it would, this nation as a whole would be, be drawn to you, know that you would be drawn to us. Father, thank you for, for providing for us. We are blessed abundantly with all the physical things that we need, with uh, clean water, with food, with, uh, with uh, homes and clothing, and all the things that you've, you've given us to make life easier and more enjoyable. Father, help us to be more grateful for these things. Help us to be content with what you've given us and not take credit for them, but realize that these things come from you. Help us to be more grateful and help us to be willing to help others as we have uh, opportunity. Well, we would ask you to be with all those that are sick and suffering. There's, there's so many at this time. We'd ask you to be with uh, Sister Murdy as she's uh, fallen and injured. And we'd ask you to just be with her, comfort her, ease her pain, and, and bless her with healing if it be your will. Father, be with others that were mentioned in the announcements, all those that are on the, on the list that, are, that have need of our prayers. And Father, help us to be mindful of them and, and minister to them as we have opportunity. We'd ask you to bless them. And, comfort them and their families and, and bless all those with healing that would, that would desire those things if it be your will. Especially be those who are spiritually ill. It's our prayer that, uh, that they would turn to you and, and uh, be drawn closer to you. Father, be those who have lost loved ones. Please be the Bull family, the, all the, the family of Norman and ask you to comfort them through this difficult time. They would look to you for strength and for guidance. Father, help us to, to go forward after as we begin this new week, that we would take the energy that we have been given today in our worship together to you, that, that we would take those things, and, and if it be your will, that, that there be a tomorrow, that we would, we would live a life that's, that's pleasing to you and productive in, in our service to you. Please watch over and care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number 907. I don't know.
Next song will be number 652. <clears throat> 652. Seven hundred and ninety nine.
Psalm before the lesson will be 655. That song that we just sung, I asked Coulter to lead it in light of our subject of the evening, and that's something that we don't have quite a bit of in the world today, and that's peace. You know, as you look around, and that's not to be a, a thought to start us off on a downer, but that's just the reality of the world that we live in. We don't look around and see a whole lot of peace around us because it's not something that we strive for quite a bit. And just to be honest with you, it's not a prayer that I often pray enough. It's not something that I seek out quite a bit. It's not something that comes to mind whenever conflict arises. And that's what I'd like for us to talk about this evening is whenever conflict arises, are we peace seekers? Are we people that seek out peace whenever conflict arises in our life? And we're going to look at a couple of different things regarding conflict and seeking peace in those things, whether it be people that have come to us and wronged us and how we should seek peace in those situations as regarding the life of a Christian and what God would desire of us in those situations. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18, uh, the Bible says, If it be possible, as much lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I've been very guilty of taking the very first part of that verse where it says, if it be possible. You know, maybe it's just, it's not possible to live peaceably with somebody. And granted, that, that does give us an instance where sometimes people may not seek peace with us because of something that's happened between us and another person. But that's not a cop-out where we should look at that and say, well, it's probably not possible, so I shouldn't try. We should always be seeking to make peace with others and making peace with those that have wronged us or that we have wronged in our life. I find it interesting that if you look in your Bibles, I don't know which, uh, which version it is that we have in our pews, but I like how it says at the head of this chapter of Romans, it says the mark of a true Christian. Now, I know that that's just man's words that they've added to the Scriptures, not to the Scriptures, but to the heading there to describe what's going on. But if you think about it, uh, early on in this chapter, it, it talks about um, seeking after these things, about loving these things, about loving peace. So this is something that we should seek after if we're going to be called a true Christian. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So we see that peace isn't just some arbitrary task that we've been given as Christians just to do and just to seek out, but it also comes with it blessings. And I don't often think about the blessings of peace whenever it comes to a conflict that I'm having with somebody. You know, the last thing on my mind is, man, what could I get out of this if I just sought peace? You know, I'm usually seeking to get my point across. I've been wronged. I've been transgressed against. So therefore, I need to get my point across and I need to get my way. Those emotions that we have in those conflicts, whether it be anger, strife, bitterness, those things don't lead to peace. They lead to war. Think for a minute, just for a little while, about the type of God that we serve when it comes to peace. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You know, just reading a little bit in history, you can see different cultures throughout mankind's history and the different types of pagan gods that men believe that they served at one point in time often served their desires and the things that they wanted. And those societies shaped those pagan gods. One type of god that was worshipped in ancient Greece and ancient Rome was the god of war. For Rome, it was Mars, and for uh, Greece, it was Ares. For the Egyptians, it was the one that looked like a bird. Now, those particular gods and those societies served a desire that the men of that society had, and that was a god of war. Man's desire just seems to be to make war, not really to make peace, or at least it's not man's first desire. You and I, we serve a god of peace, and we serve a god of the living, not of the dead. And even if peace isn't something that we actively seek out, we serve a God of it and we are commanded to seek it out. So as I said in the very first verse when we talked about um, um, where it says, as much lieth within you, live peaceably among all men, we don't need to be using that as a cop-out. We don't need to be using that as a cop-out for things. Excuse me, I went too fast on a verse there. We don't need to be using that as a cop-out for not seeking peace in situations that we should. We should be asking ourselves, is there any way to make this situation lead to a peaceable outcome? We shouldn't be looking to get our way across at the end of the day. I'd like to point out a few things in the Christian struggle for peace as we go about uh, throughout this study. And as we're going to juxtapose the two things, peace and strife, we might use a couple of different words like uh, war, strife, or fighting, but it pretty much means all the same thing. 
uh, the two types of people that you have when it comes to seeking peace, you have the person who strives to be at peace with the person that has wronged them or that they have wronged, and they're going to do everything that they can to get to that point. And then you have the person who is content to remain in the state of bitterness or strife towards that person or towards that thing that has happened to them in the past, and they're content to remain bitter and angry with that no matter what the circumstances are. So the first thing is, is do we seek to make peace with those who have wronged us or those who have wronged others in our life that we care about? Because the truth is, is we don't have to be the wronged party to be the one that's striving with others. They could wrong somebody that we care about, somebody that we hold near and dear to us. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without such or without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, I really struggle with that part that's in all caps. It's easy for me to seek peace with my wife. It's easy for me to seek peace with my family. It's easy for me to seek peace with the people that I care about and that are near and dear to me, that I see on a daily basis with my brothers and sisters. But when it's all men, that's where it gets a little bit more difficult. Maybe we don't have a vested interest in that person, but the truth is, is if we're a Christian, we should have that vested interest in their soul, and we should seek peace with all men. You know, in, in the world of business, I've learned really quick a very hard lesson is that it is, it is very easy, it's, it's very easy for any conflict that you have on a day-to-day -day basis with the people that you work with, if you work with the public or if you work with anybody that you represent in a, in a certain situation, it can be easy to let a certain thing that happens that causes strife between two parties define that person for you for the rest of your life. It can be easy to hold on to that and let that go forever and ever and never strive to make peace with that person from that day forward. And that's an easy thing to hold on to. Has somebody ever wronged you and you barely even knew who they were? But just because that was the one thing that they did to you from that point forward, that was the defining event for them from that moment forward. And I think what we often do is when that happens to us, we like to take a monument whether it be of stone or whatever, and we take that monument to that person and we start etching those transgressions into that monument over time. And maybe when we're feeling upset with that person, we go back to something that they did to us and we take that chisel and we just decide to go to something that they've already done and we etch that even further and further and deeper into the stone as time goes on. Is that truly following peace? Is that truly the mindset that we should have? James chapter 3, verse 17, or excuse me, uh, back up here. I actually don't have this verse in the PowerPoint. But if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, keeping on that idea of building a monument to others' transgressions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, if I'm etching those things into that monument of somebody else's transgressions against me, I'm not allowing the power of God to pull down the strongholds. I'm walking after the flesh. I'm not walking in the Spirit if that's my goal. If what I'm trying to do is just build up that monument to somebody else's transgressions. Now into James chapter 3, verse 17. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 
So you have to ask yourself the question, as I try to ask myself the question from time to time, and it's very difficult to in the moment, but do I seek to be at peace with those who have wronged me and others? Is that something that I actively seek out to do? Do I treat them gently? Am I easy to be entreated? Am I easy to be approached? So often I'm not that kind of person because, like we talked about, our focus in that moment is not peace. It's to get our point across. We've been wrong. We're the one that should be approached. They should come back to us and say they're sorry. We're not thinking about these kinds of things. Or at least it's difficult to. But it's the type of person that God wants us to be when following peace. You know, I never thought about this until recently, but um, Sawyer brought it up in his lesson, I believe it was last week, where he talked about um, when the story of the cross doesn't move you, you know you have some troubles. Something needs to be fixed. You ever thought for a moment about the length that God went to to make sure that we would be at peace with Him? You ever thought about the things that our Savior had, had to do and had to endure just to make sure that you and I had an opportunity to be at peace with God? How He was spit upon, He was mocked, He was beaten, and betrayed by those who was closest to Him just so you and I would have an opportunity to be at peace with our God. And yet, so often I give up excuses that seem so small compared to all that, just so I can continue to be striving against others and not to be at peace with them. Second thing I'd like us to think about is, have you ever thought about what being at peace with others might afford you? Have you ever thought about the rewards that that might bring to you? Now, we don't need to be thinking about it in the vein of, well, what can I get out of this? But really just begin to think about what peace will actually afford you when you seek after it. Yeah, of course, there would be one left out. James chapter 3, verse 18, the very next verse, if you have a Bible open. James chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We know what fruit is in this context. It's what comes from the spiritual warfare that we wage. When we choose peace over war and we make peace with those that we have been at war with, we see the fruits of that righteousness. So what are some of those fruits? Well, the first one that comes to mind is just simply happiness. And that might be a, a trite thing to say that's pretty simple, but really happiness is one of the greatest things that comes out of a life that seeks after peace. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. When we decide to be at peace with someone, things are better. Food tastes better, gatherings are better, your life at home is better. Anything around that person just tends to be better when you're seeking to be at peace with that person because you have to devote so much mental energy to holding something against them when you're not try trying to be at peace with that person. If you fill your heart with negativity about others and what they've done, you'll most likely end up being a negative and unhappy person against them. What did Jesus say about what's in the heart and how that affects us outwardly? He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And then quickly, next verse in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So it's very simple. If you fill your heart with those things, that's what's going to come out. If you fill your heart with peace, Peace is going to be outwardly seen. If you fill your heart with strife, strife is going to be outwardly seen. 
And strife isn't going to produce happiness. Second thing that seeking peace can yield us in our life is spiritual growth. And you know, this isn't something I think about too often, but it's very true. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another, or one may edify another. So edify or build up spiritually. You see, once peace is something that reigns in your heart, once it's something that you seek after, then spiritual growth can happen. You think about it, you know, I don't have to tell any of the farmers in the room, but you just think about it in the sense of a plant. If that plant has a hostile environment that it's growing up in, it's either not going to last long or it's not going to grow up very well. It's not going to grow the way that it's supposed to. Think about it in the sense of a child that's growing up in a home. If it's not a peaceful home, if it's full of strife and bickering and anger, what's going to happen to that child as it grows up? Now, none of us would look at a plant or a child and say, you know, this person or this plant, it needs these things to grow up the right way. It needs this peaceful environment to grow up properly and then turn around and look at ourselves in the mirror. Well, I guess I'll just be mad and upset about this particular thing, and I guess I'll develop as a Christian as I should. No, the truth is that if we're in that, that harmful, uh, war-filled environment that doesn't have peace in it, we're not going to grow any better than that plant or that child would in that kind of bad situation. Next thing is, do we seek peace in the circumstances that have left us scarred? If you live long enough, you're going to be scarred and there's going to be situations that arise in your life that are going to leave you feeling like you were wronged or you were robbed of something. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from, from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He says to, to let all bitterness be put away. You know, something that I'm very guilty of when it comes to bitterness is, is I treat it like something that I can just put on and put off, like a ball cap. You know, whenever it suits me, I'll just put it on. Whenever I feel like feeling those things towards somebody or towards a particular situation and having a pity party, I just put it on and, and it serves the purpose that it needs to for me. But it's as simple as putting it away like a book and just not picking it up again. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it's what God has called us to do. Put away all bitterness. Put away all wrath and put away all anger. Second thing we need to ask ourselves about that is, are we letting our pride get in the way of our peace? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So when we're faced with a choice to choose peace over war with other people or with situations in our life, why do we so often choose to strive or to be at war, to be bitter, when it's so much better and so much easier to be at peace? What, what's the thing that would drive us towards choosing that? Well, it's the pride that gets in the way of making that clear choice. You know, I heard it once said that pride is just like a veil that's before your eyes that you can't really see the clear choice. It clouds your vision. You can't make the right decision whenever it's there in front of you. Our pride often says, no, it's that person that did me wrong. It's that situation that did me wrong or that thing that happened to me, and I'm the victim here, and I'm the one that should be taken care of from this point forward. Or that person should come to me and apologize, or that thing should be changed. You know, the, the truth is, is that that person who might have wronged you or that situation that might have done wrong to you in the past, that was done happening the moment it happened. It was us who took the consequences of that forward throughout the rest of our life and hung on to it from that day forward. 
we were the ones responsible for taking that hurt forward with us. And I'm not trying to say it like it's just an easy thing that we can do and get rid of. It's a process. But the truth is, we're the ones that hang on to those things. You know, I, I once heard another thing said that being bitter towards someone or or being bitter towards someone in the hopes that they suffer or come to terms with you, it's like drinking poison in the hopes that that person gets hurt. Last thing is, is do we seek peace in confrontations that we have with others? James chapter 1, uh, verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is along the you know, same line of thinking as the previous points regarding peace to people who have wronged us. But think about it specifically whenever you're um, in the midst of an argument with a person. You know, it's, very, it's very difficult when we're in the midst of an argument with someone to think about, okay, how can I move this towards a peace, peaceful solution? Especially when tempers get flared and when things are, are not going the way that you want them to. By no means am, am I a master of trying to do this kind of thing. I'm still working on it, just like most of us are. But think about what's at the heart of a confrontation between two people when someone is wronged at the end of the day. Someone did something that the other person didn't like. The wronged party feels strong enough to approach that person and bring it up. And the one who did that doesn't feel like it matters or they disagree with that person. You know, it's probably about a year, a year and a half ago that this happened. Uh, but I had an inspection that I had to do on a house once, and it was a very nice house. It was a very expensive home, and and um, I got contracted to do the job. And apparently, something was worded in the report that was wrong with the house, and uh, the the purchaser of that house decided not to follow through with the purchase of the house. The agent got mad at me, and it became one of these things where there was tensions, and a lot of things were going wrong between the parties that were involved. And, and so. When I got wind of that and that person was upset with me, that particular uh, real estate professional was upset with me, um, I got wind of that problem about two months after it happened and I decided I was going to let things cool down and I was going to try and approach that person. Now, let me preface everything that I'm about to say with I don't believe that because I did this this way that this is the right way to do it or this is the only way to do it or that I'm somehow special by handling it this way. It's just what I sought out to do. So I thought... Let me just try to seek peace with this person. I don't care about the opinions. I'm just going to try to seek peace. and I'm going to try and go about it the best way that I possibly can. And after those things were sought out in that particular conversation, honestly, the other guy was floored that I didn't come at him trying to, you know, I didn't come out of the gate swinging. And, and, and a thought occurred to me. What if we did that with every kind of confrontation that we had? Wouldn't that floor everybody if everybody was expecting us to come at them with, with anger and with malice and with bitterness? What if we came at everybody that way with peace and with heart in hand and we tried to seek a peaceful solution to the problem? The truth is, is God had that figured out long before you and I ever even pondered it. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. We need to not be so concerned with our way and the way that we want things, but we need to be concerned with the ways of God in handling our confrontations because those are going to be the things that bring about peace. And if you think even for a moment that there's a way that you can do it better than God that brings about peace, just look throughout history and you'll see plenty of man's ways that don't lead to peace. There's plenty of wars to prove it. So in conclusion, I'd like us to think about a few things. Number one, I understand that there are some complexities that we haven't touched on. There's things that happen in life that 
that lead to certain decisions needing to be made that lead to peace that we haven't touched on, things that make it very difficult. And I don't mean to make light of any of those things, but we need to ask ourselves at the end of the day, are we actually trying to make peace? Are we actually seeking that out or are we looking for a loophole to not make that happen? You know, I think of it like this. Uh, you might get a lot of advice on, on investing, on trying to put your money into something that brings back a good return. And, and you might get what I like to call paralysis of the analysis. You know, I look at something and think, okay, what's the best decision to make in this particular situation? Where should I put this money to get the best return? And forget at the end of the day, you have to actually put the money in something that actually makes a return on the investment. Are we actually making the decision to be at peace? Or are we getting paralysis of the analysis and thinking, well, this way won't work, or this way is too hard, or this might not yield the result that I want? A few things I'd like to share with you and the lesson will be yours. Have you ever considered the cost of not seeking peace? When World War II came, when World War II came to a close, over 85 million people Military and civilian worldwide had lost their lives to the fighting in the most devastating conflict that the world had ever seen. When the Mongols sacked Baghdad in the 13th century AD, it's estimated that over 2 million people died in a single day. Recent updates have estimated uh, the, U the U.S. Civil War death toll to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 750,000. And in a single day, losing more than 50,000 soldiers in one battle alone, and that's more than all the years of the Vietnam conflict combined. Have you sat down and counted the cost of what strife will cost you? Have you considered what it will cost your soul? And have you considered what peace can afford you? And if you're here today and you have not been baptized, if you haven't been brought into the, into the church of Jesus Christ, if you haven't been brought into that kingdom, you're robbing yourself of the greatest peace that you could ever be afforded. And that's the peace of knowing that if you died today, your soul would be safe and that you would be taken care of. If you're here today and that's a need that you have and if you've been sufficiently taught and if the church can help you meet that need today or if you have other things that you've struggled with that you need prayers for and if there's anything that the church can assist you with today, we'd ask that you make that need known by sitting on the front pew while we stand and sing the song of invitation.